All right, it's top of the hour, so we'll give a couple minutes here for a couple people to get um, get in here. Maybe I don't know if we'll give them a minute. Should be on time anyways. Um, give a few seconds here, and then I'll uh, kind of get a little bit going here. Cool, cool. So those that are on right now, if you if you have a question or whatnot, there's a there's a spot down below where you can raise your hand, and um, if you raise your hand, we'll take the question. Um, be more than glad to answer any questions. So this is raising your average sales price through geographic and demographic targeting. Uh, something a little bit, a little bit near and dear to my heart because of uh, kind of how I chose the marketplace I sell in now. Today really came from what we're going to discuss right now, and so we'll give a couple more seconds here for a couple more people, and then uh, and then we'll get started. And see Randy, how you doing, Randy? Hey, buddy. Um, we got our call coming up here. Cool. So. All right, a couple more seconds. Again, if you have a question, feel free to put the question in the side panel, and we'll get that we'll get that answered. Or again, um, also also raise your hand. There's a tab where you can raise your hand, and um, I'll get I'll kind of answer most of the questions. Otherwise, we're going to do about 15, 20 minutes of just kind of going through the outline, and then five to ten minutes of questions, and 15, 20 minutes of outline, and and kind of go from there. So, all right. Otherwise, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna go ahead and get started. So, name is Jay Fletch, uh, level three core coach. Um, I'll tell you a little about my journey with the core. So, I saw the core about six years ago. When I was first introduced to the core, I had about 19 years of real estate under my belt at that point. And after 19 years of selling real estate, even though I was one of the, even though I was one of the uh, top producers in my marketplace. What happened was um, I've been one or two in my marketplace. However, I was disorganized. I lacked a team. Um, I was in debt up to my eyeballs playing the part of a real estate agent. I didn't really do a P&L. All sorts of things were ugly. Uh, in fact, uh, I think some of you have heard the story and some of you probably will hear it right now. When I joined the Corps, I was $487,000 in IRS debt. And um, the Corps, through all that, all the Corps helped me build a team, helped me sell more, helped me raise my sales price, and I paid off the IRS debt in a very short period of time through the Corps. So a couple things um, along that lines. And I think when you get into a lot of pressure, you start to look for anything and everything that would work. Well, interesting enough, and I don't know if I've told this story uh, to this point, but because I had the IRS debt, I was trying to find a way to pay it off quickly, and this is before the core came. I actually talked to a psychic once on the side of the street, and here's what the psychic told me. The psychic told me, you have to move west, and it says, I see if you move west, you will make a lot of money. And so um, I'm like, well, how far west? And he's like, California. And uh, now today I see some of these California agents that I coach, and I see their average sales prices. I'm like, holy cow, he was right. I missed the boat. So um, at that time, I was selling in a community called New Richmond, Wisconsin. My average sales price was about 168000 I was doing about 90 units a year at an average sales price of 168000 uh, I decided I had to get my average sales price up, so I started looking at areas where I could move my business to. So we're going to talk about geographic targeting, and we're going to talk about demographic targeting. And then and we're going to talk about how the two of them combine, how you can raise your average sales price. So in my case, I started by looking at geographically an area that had a higher sales price. So geographic targeting basically means this. It's zip code, county, neighborhood, city. It's a geographic area that has a higher sales price. So in my case, I looked across the river. So I was in Wisconsin, um, on the very western border of Wisconsin, very eastern border of Minnesota. And I was about 35 miles from a neighborhood called Woodbury, Minnesota. 
and I was selling in New Richmond, Wisconsin. Woodbury's average sales price was 336000 New Richmond's average sales price was about 168. Um, I bounced between 170 and 185, doing 90 units a year. So the first thing I did is I said, wow, I could go across the river 30 miles from where I'm at, and I could double my average sales price just by moving. So that in itself was I was looking at geographic area. Now, because I was concentrating on the average sales price, concentrating on the average sales price is a demographic information. So demographic really breaks down this, study or selection of a particular population. So in my case, I was looking at average sales price as a particular population. So what I did there, and, and I'll just kind of wrap up the story and then we'll get into some of the tactics. What I did there is I decided that was double my average sales price and I was going to move there. Now, I couldn't just pick up and leave. You know, I've been selling in this community. I was born and raised in this community. I couldn't just pick up and leave. I, I had the number one market share in the community where I was selling with an average sales price of about 180 but I knew where I wanted to go. So I made a plan to be in the new market within four years. I started farming that new market four years before I moved there. So four years before I moved to the higher average sales price, I started farming that market. I started becoming involved in activities. I started becoming involved in their chamber of commerce. I started attending events. I started, I started attending golf outings in that area. So I put myself in a position to be more visual. And we'll kind of talk about that as we go through, as we go through the, the tactics I'm going to get in with you. So again, geographic, location, demographic is things like income, uh, magazine subscriptions. I target a lot of people based on magazine subscriptions. Certain people have certain subscriptions and magazines. So for instance, in our marketplace, there's a magazine called the Twin Cities Business Journal. The average income of somebody that subscribes to the Twin Cities Business Journal is, uh, I think it's 187,000. That's the average income of them. So that's a magazine I target. Um, Success Magazine, which is a Dale Carnegie, um, Napoleon Hill kind of sponsored magazine. That magazine has an 87% subscription rate to small business owners. So that's another magazine I target. So I look at job. I look at industry. I look at builders. I look at education level. I look at amenities, marinas, you know, marinas, associations, and then spending habits. Those are the demographic things that keep me up at night when I'm trying to look at getting into another market or another demographic. So I'm going to grab some of these questions. So one of the questions, how do you become more visible during COVID-19? I'll tell you what, uh, what Rick told me about two hours ago, Zoom. <laughs> and I think secretly it's because he has a lot of, um, he has a high position on their stock. But anyways, Zoom is a great way to become visible. A lot of your chamber of commerces, are having their meetings done by Zoom now, and so they can still have meetings. So Zoom is one of the best ways you can become visible. Um, otherwise, we're just going to have to wait till COVID subsides and the storm clears so you can get involved in some of those things. I've seen several golf outings be canceled on it, and I've also seen several of them still going on. So again, going back on that, that's why I look for demographic. So I'll kind of talk about the tactics I've done to raise my sales price. And I'll start with the first one is builders. So some of you probably are sick of hearing about builders and builder reps because either you don't have builders or you don't think you have access to it. Um, and I understand that. Uh, but take the word builder out and insert another industry. It could be attorneys. It could be builders. It could be builder reps. It could be financial advisors. It could be restoration companies. It could be assisted living, client care coordinators. 
So whatever, whatever you want to insert there, the, the process is the same. So first thing you do is you join associations around that particular industry. So if you're looking at targeting builder reps, or if you're looking at targeting builders, if you have not joined the builders association and you have a plan to target builders, you're doing it wrong. Okay. Just, just saying, you know what, I'm going to go out and work with some builders isn't enough. You have to have a executed plan to get in front of them. So the builder association, I think is great because you have committees you can sit on. Our builder association has something called, um, big builders incentive group which is a subset of the builder association where the builders take trips together. So I'm one of the only realtors that I've ever seen on a builder trip. Now, most of the builders get to go free because they get enough points from buying stuff from their vendors, but you can still go. You just have to pay for your points if you don't get them. So I've been on some really nice trips where I'm there with about 50 builders from my community and you get a really get it you get a really good chance to get involved with them when you're sitting at dinner with them in another foreign country so that gets you the opportunity to become around that and if by being around it you're going to get more opportunities because you're visual and i can't tell you how many times i'll have a builder reach out to me that they're not happy with their sales team they're not happy with you know how the results are going and they'll say, hey, I saw you here, I met you here, we talked here. So it's about putting yourself in visual area to what you want to go. Um, collect and study, like with builders, collect, study, and visit the Prada homes. I can tell you right now, and one of the things I show when my students come over for a site visit, I have the Prada Homes book. We have two Prada Homes, Fall and Spring. I have every Prada Homes book going back 10 years. So I can pull up a parade book from 2011 and say, hey, you had a spring parade. It was number 208 and kind of go there. So, again, looking at where they are. Taking the same thing, and let's say, let's say not builders. Let's say it's attorneys. So attorneys, again, when you look at geographic and you look at demographic, the geographic part would be I want to talk to attorneys within a 30-mile radius of my office. Okay? So that's one. So you can, you can start to put together a list that you're going to go after. Next thing would be, I want to talk to only divorce attorneys, only estate attorneys. And you can start to put together a list. The divorce part, the estate part, that's a demographic characteristic. The attorney is a demographic characteristic. Having targeting people that are within 40 miles of your office, that is a geographic characteristic. When you combine the two, you can put together some very detailed lists. So right now, attorneys is one thing I have not gone after, as well as one. So my RP1, over the last, and I started this, I think, I started this during COVID because we had some extra time and I was looking for things for them to do from home. They put together a list of 100 attorneys that are within 30 miles of my office that are estate or divorce and then they put together and they put on excel sheet first name last name they put their law firm they put their law firm address and they put a contact phone number now the same rp1 is going through that list and looking for them through the tax records to see if i can find their home address and then looking through them on facebook or social media or linkedin to see if i can get connected with them that way this requires some grass roofs, elbow-to-elbow -elbow work from an RP1. It really does. It's not something you should do. You should oversee it. You should assign it. You should task it. But once you put together a target list, now you can start to work them through a process. You can start to work them through a touch system. You know, you can send them a thank you note. You can send them a card. You can call them. You can visit their office. You can talk to, you can talk to the gatekeepers. But first and foremost, it's deter determining where you want to go. Now, all of this raises your average sales price. And the reason why it raises your average sales price is I'm not trying to, I'm not being prejudiced. I'm not, I'm not discriminating. But I do know this. An attorney 
probably has higher net worth clients than, uh, you know, than someone that works at Walmart. I mean, people tend to, people tend to go in different social structures. So that's one way to look at it. Let me see what we got here. When you gain builder business, did you have an RP2 visit the smaller scale builders that you regularly are? No, I did it. I do it. Here's the thing at the end of the day. The best salesperson on your team is going to be you. I'm, I like football. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Packer fan. I'm also an Aaron, I'm an Aaron Rodgers fan. I'm a Tom Brady fan. I think Tom Brady is one of the best quarterbacks that's ever played the game. I have never seen Tom Brady ever hand the ball off to the backup quarterback when they're down by four points in the fourth quarter with three minutes left of the game. I have never seen the backup quarterback come in to try to win the game. You should be the person developing these relationships. You should be the person making the phone calls. You should be the person, you know, catering to them, stopping by, visiting. Your RP1s should be the ones collecting the data. They should be the ones setting up the system. They should be ones setting up the process. They should be the ones executing the process. Like my RP1 puts a, puts a, a call sheet on my desk that basically says, these are the attorneys you have to call today. These are the builder reps you have to visit today. These are the association members you have to talk to today. These are the assisted caregivers that you have to call today. I am LeBron James. I'm Tom Brady. I'm the best salesman on my team. It's got to be me that makes that call. Uh, they said it's $1,100 to join the builder board as a member. Is it worth it? Um, I can tell you this, yes. Um, it's worth it if you take action. Don't just join an association and think business is going to fall on your lap. You join an association, then you become an active member in the association. So it takes action. So, um, again, going with builders, along with builders, you can select desired neighborhoods. I like small, custom, luxury builders. If I'm going to work with them, um, builder and agent. Like if I'm going to rep their house, I like small, custom builders with a high sales price and that has good integrity and good reputation. That's what I like on, if you're going to rep the builder. If you're not going to rep the builder, then it's national builders with sales staff that cannot do backup listings. And you focus on the backup listing, the departing listing, and you focus on making that salesperson in the model more successful by helping them sell the house that their buyer needs sold in order to build with the builder. Those are some of the things that, um, that, that I look at, that I look at. Um, so that's some things. Uh, the attorneys, one thing's with attorneys, uh, what is your script when first reaching out to a diverse attorney? What is your A-plus in the early on doing mailers, touches, and reaching out to them? Okay, so let me tell you about, and this goes with any type of, any type of list I put together. I've got attorney list right now that I'm in the process of working. Um, I finished up assisted living caregiver list. I've done a builder list. I've done a builder rep list. Um, I've done a medical professional list. I've done a restoration company list. Here's what I'll tell you what my experience is. I like to find 100 names. I like to find 100 names to move forward. The reason I like 100, because I like to keep stats. And to me, it's really easy to figure out if I have 100 and I contacted all 100 of them and only two called me back, in my mind, I know I have 2%. <laughs> so that's why I like to do 100, because I like to keep stats, and it's real easy if I have 100. But here's kind of what my process looks like. First, I have all the RP1s determine the list, whatever the category is. Then I do a, I do a, I do a touch point, sometimes 12 points, sometimes 24 points, sometimes 50 points. Uh, if you send a message to the concierge after this, they can get you some of my, my lists that I do. And uh, Patrick has a really good list for builders. I think he has a 20 touch point for builder reps. And here's kind of what the touch points look like. The first one usually is an introduction letter, basically telling them I'm going to be reaching out to them and just telling them who I am, short, sweet, and telling them I want to know more about their business. I take the approach of, I want to know more about your business. 
like what kind of homes you build, what kind of demographics you target, how do you get your sales? Or if I'm talking to an attorney, where do you get where do you get your clientele? How do you get referrals? I mean, what happens when they don't pay you? See, the best thing about our business is people like to talk with people that speak the same language as they do. And we're in a business of making money. So are they. We're in a business of serving clients. So are they. So the same struggles you're having, they probably have. Like if you're having staffing struggles, they're probably having staffing struggles. So one of the best ways to start a relationship is ask them about their business. Like how do you find people? Man, you're one of the best builders. I saw I saw you made the top 20 builder list in our marketplace. You were number six on the list. How did you guys do that? How did you guys do 60 million in sales? Or you talk to attorney. Hey, I see you're in the who's who's of attorneys. I mean, what do you guys get for retaining fee? How do you get that for retaining fee? Did you ever get less? Do you have staffing problems? How do you find your employees? You understand every small business has problems with employees? Like asking them how they find their employees, it gets you an in. So my initial letter basically is, I'm going to call you. I want to know more about your business. And I think I think there's, you know, worst case scenario, we'll have an opportunity to meet each other. Like-minded people usually connect. So that's kind of my first step. My second step is usually a phone call. My third step is usually a thank you card, especially to the phone call if they answer it. My fourth step is usually a gift, like a book. I like to give a, I like to give any of those people a book. Builders, I like to give them. You no, know, one of the favorite books I like to give everybody really is the the Wow the Wow book. You know how to wow your customers, how to have raving fans. I love giving people the raving fans book. I love that one. Um, lately, because of COVID, I've given out I've probably given out 50 to 60 Who Moved My Cheese. Because I think right now, because of COVID, that's one of the best books to read. So I like giving books. Um, Follow-up phone call again. A cheesy gift. Um, send them my letter of the heart. Send them an evidence of success. These are all things on my, on my step. Try to meet them at one of their charities. Try to donate to one of their charities in their, in, in their name. You know, when you donate, when you know it. So I just had a birthday, and one of my charities is St. Jude. I think there's been five or six donations now to St. Jude in my name for my birthday. Here's what I can tell you. They don't tell you how much they donated. They just say, hey, Randy Miller donated to St. Jude for your birthday in your name. Thank you. That's what they say. I don't know if it was $5 or $500. But, that, but that's really great. If you can find out what their charity is and do that in their name, you're gaining, again, some, some credibility with them. Um, let me see, knock out a couple of questions here. Do you find the need to reduce your commission when working with builders? Uh, no. I find the need to demonstrate my value more so than reducing my commission. So if you're working with a builder rep that cannot sell, you're really not reducing your commission because you're taking a full commission on selling their home the backup departing residents, and you need your commission in order to do the services you do. Like we do staging, we do a pre-inspection, we do professional photos, we do Matterport. If I reduce my commission, now my ability to sell that home was dramatically reduced as well. And the very reason why you're hiring me is the reason why I can't reduce my commission because you're hiring me to get that home sold so they can buy your new construction. Now, if I'm working for the builder, if I'm working for the builder, there is discussions on commission reduction. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's around what am I doing for the builder in my, in my sitting models or am I having hostesses or licensed people sit models in my staffing models in my in my, in my marketing the development in my printing off and printing materials. Depending on what level I'm doing for the builder, there may be some negotiation there. It's all about negotiation. Uh, do you look at turnover rates and is there a dominant agent before making a move and what criteria do you use? Yeah, Nicole, um, I'm going to talk about that when we get into, when we get, when I get to the part where I'm going to talk about farming, I am going to talk about dominant agents and turnover rates for sure. Um, I'm going to go along the list here. I'm going to 
close up the list a little bit. One of the best lists that I've ever put together, and I say I, like I take credit for it, really it was my RP1s um, that put the list together, medical professionals. One of the best ways to raise your average sales price is to focus on doctors, physician assistants, um, physician recruiters. Those are some of the best ways to raise your average sales price. Uh, my coach at the time was Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr um, is kind of the guy, it's like all shuck, and he end up sells eight homes for like 10 million. And when he got involved in the core, his average sales price was just under 300. And the last year he coached me, his average sales price was 1.2. And, um, you know, so Steve, Steve really targets doctors. And so he's involved in a lot of the hospital communities. He's involved in the charities that these doctors are. He speaks to the physician recruiters, the people trying to recruit him. He does lifestyle tours. So like if a doctor is coming into, he lives in, um, he lives in Oregon, Portland. If a doctor is coming into Portland, they might be looking at Portland. They might be looking at Minneapolis. They might be looking at Austin. And this doctor is coming in and they might need, the physician recruiter might need somebody to put the doctor over the edge for the area. Like the physician recruiter is probably not going to take them out and show them the ski slopes if they're interested in skiing. Probably not going to take them on a hike or probably not going to take them to some of the neighborhoods. Let's say they have a kid that, um, you know, has either a special disability or has a special ability. Like maybe they need a fancy dance school. That's where you and the physician recruiter can become really close. And you could say, hey, send me that doctor. I will help do your job. Because the physician recruiter, they're trying to get the doctor to join their hospital. And they don't want to lose them to Austin or Minnesota or, you know, Orlando. So that's a partnership you can make with those. Steve did a lot of those. Then he started doing things where events were interest parties like that. So, for instance, going to Chuck E. Cheese or going to um, an airplane show, you have two distinct different people attending those, <laughs> okay? So he did, Steve did a very classic boat, classic boat, classic car show that he organized, and I think he's on like his fifth or sixth year. So there's things like that that you can get creative outside the box where you get, let's say you do a classic show, you get a hold of people that have four or five you know, hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar cars. You're going to get a certain demographic that's going to come look at those. Um, or you do a you do a charity with a thousand dollars for a table. I'm telling you, the people buying that table at the charity, that's a different type of that's a different type of buyer or seller for you than someone going to the ground round because it's all you can eat for five ninety nine. Okay, there's different, so that's, so getting involved in those things there, mailing them, involved in their outings, involved in their charities, in their neighborhoods, and that will lead us kind of into, I'll talk a little bit about direct mail, um, because that's one of the biggest ways I changed my sales price. So on direct mail, on direct mail, there is a, I use EDDM, which stands for Every Door Direct Mail. When you go to every door direct mail, you can select mailing routes. They're broken down by mailing routes, business or residential. You can select mailing routes by geographic location. That's the route itself. You can select a mailing route by income. So I send out 5,000 postcards every month to this day. When I was about to move from my little town in Wisconsin to Minnesota, and I was going to move that demographic, I started mailing two neighborhoods of about 2,500, and I mailed them for four years before I moved to that area. So four years, I planted seeds, and I didn't expect anything in return. So four years, I planted seeds. There's a very interesting study out there, and I wish I knew who did the study, but I'll, I'll tell you the results of it because it's powerful. Very interesting study. They sent a postcard 
for 18 months out to a neighborhood, fake company, fake realtor. And on the 20th month, they went into that neighborhood door to door and asked them one simple question. One question is, who would you use to sell your home if you were to sell it today? That fake company and that fake agent was 37% of the of the of the survey they were the number one selected agent to sell in that marketplace and they did not exist so i still get calls today from those neighborhoods that i farm because i have not stopped farming them since i moved to this area so i have farmed them now for about eight years those 25 homes 100 homes and it's basically every month one a month I could even probably go every other month and I'd probably still have the same results in them. I might not get every listing, but I do get a lot of name recognition in there. Now, going back to what Nicole was talking about. Yes, I look over at turnover rates in the neighborhood. Again, when you're talking about raising your average sales price, you have to decide what criteria is most important to you. To me, the number one criteria was the average sales price in the neighborhood. That's number one. Number two, number two criteria to me was how often the homes are turning over. Number three criteria to me is, is there a dominant agent? So the dominant agent, the best way to find out if there's a dominant agent is to check sales going back three to five years and just see who is the listing agent, who is the buying agent. It would be really nice if you moved into the neighborhood before you start target marketing it because then you'll see if you are getting mailers or anything from someone else. That's somewhat difficult unless you have a client there, unless you move there. So the best way to do it is you look at the sales, go back three years and see who's selling the most out of that area and look at that. The, the reason why they call it farming and the reason why they call it farming because here's what it really breaks down to. You are planting seeds with faith that there's going to be a harvest when you want to go ahead and collect your crop. All of us tend to do this. And the people that do it wrong, here's what happens. They call me up and they say, hey, Jay, I started farming and nothing happened. I quit. I did it three months, didn't get a phone call. Well, that would be like a farmer putting the seed in the ground and coming back a couple days later going, this stuff doesn't work. Farming doesn't work. I don't know who got me signed up for this thing. So what happens is determining if there's someone working the neighborhood is like determining if you're about to plant seeds on a fertile ground or not. Some ground's not fertile. Some ground is clay. Some ground is too heavy in water. Some ground has weeds. Sometimes the birds get it. Sometimes the rain gets it. Sometimes it's too hot. Sometimes, so farming is, Farming is a lot of planting seeds consistently for a long period of time, having the faith that you'll be able to harvest. Some people can't stomach it. Let's just be real blunt. Some people cannot spend money for a long period of time and have faith that's going to work out. Most of us operate out of fear. We do not operate out of faith. One of the post-it notes I have right on my computer is this. It says, are you operating in faith or fear today? And I have to remind myself on a regular basis. Faith is like walking down a staircase in your house in the middle of the night without the lights on. You know that the next step is there, even though you can't see it. I know from farming, as long as I have, as consistent as I have, it works. But sometimes you got to have the faith in order to do it. So the other mistake I see people make on farming is this. They start too big. One of the questions we have is, what's the number of homes you should do? Here's what I'm telling you. Most people will start, they'll try to farm too many homes, and they'll do it too short, and they'll fail. Because the key is consistency. So I would say start off with 200. Start off with 500. Start off with whatever you can stomach for a budget for at least 18 to 24 months. Do not go into a farm if you're going to not do it for at least 18 to 24 months. And then start that way. I would start 100, 200, 500, whatever you can stomach. 
and then start to build it up. I like farming in a neighborhood you live in because you have you, people are, you become more visible. You know, they'll see you walking the dog. They'll see you at the park and whatnot. Um, other things to consider when you're farming is what type of, what type of communities they have. Do they have things where you can become more, more visible? Like some, some of the areas I farm, they have Easter egg hunts. And so I like to sponsor those. Some of them have parks. I like to sponsor something in the park. Some of them have their own little community parades. Like our marina, there's association where my marina is. So my boat's in the marina with 500 other boats. Okay, the average size of a boat in the marina I'm at is 38 feet. So we're talking a pretty expensive boat. You have two types of boaters I've learned over the years. One that owns their boats free and clear, and ones that make a lot of payment on their boat still. The ones that are free and clear are the ones I like to work for because they tend to have very high-priced homes. The ones that are making payments on their boats tend to have an average price home. <laughs> so I farm my association there. There is always what they call a little Fourth of July dinghy parade, and they're always looking for sponsors. So I'll usually pay for a food truck. And my name goes on the sponsor, so people see me more visible. I've done a lot of sales in my little marina association that have been higher prices just because I'm involved in the association. I'm involved in it. I'm part of it. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, Joanna, no, I haven't heard of that company, but I think it's worth looking into. How much money do you spend on your postcards from Nicole again? Um, so, Nicole, I, I pay... So through every door direct mail, if you can target the postcards to, to fit their guidelines size wise and you get, you know, fit their guidelines, it's about 13 cents to mail it. And so then it just becomes the postage. I mean, not the postage, 13 cents is the postage to mail. Then it just becomes the design. So I've hired a company, um, it's called Helmer Printing and they, they, we do all our own design work in house and Helmer Printing does the printing for us. A thousand cart postcards for me will run $215 and then 13 cents to mail them out. So you can get these costs down pretty far if you use every door direct mail. The ones that cost me more to do are the ones I'm doing directly to my database, which they don't fall inside a little nice route that the postal service packages up. So those ones I do have to, I do have to spend a postcard postage. So interesting enough, when I'm doing a mailer to my farm, I'm using an every door direct mail size card. And usually they're pretty, they're like five inches by eight inches, glossy, big cards. When I'm mailing to my database, because I farm my database too, I use a very small glossy card because I want to get away with a postage stamp. The big glossy cards, if I send that to my database, it's, it's usually 50 cents or 55 cents, whatever it is now, to mail those to my database. So my database actually gets a smaller card, which I'm okay with because my database knows me already. Um, they, get, they take their, do you change the EDM postcard design every month? Yes. I changed the, let me, actually, let me back up. Yes and no. <laughs> so what does not change on my EDDM postcard is the back of the postcard never changes. And the bottom of the postcard never changes. So the back of the postcard will says what's in it for them. So it says like, hey, I'm going to sell your home at a higher sales price. I'm going to sell your home at a better list to sell ratio. Here's my average days on market. Here's my average, what I average get when I get to people. Here's what we do. We do staging. We do this. That's what the back of my postcard does. It's basically a small ad, but tailored to tells them what's in it for them. The front of my postcard will be a small, slim area. Let's see if I got one within reach. I don't, but it'll be a small, um, small kind of area that will, that has my picture on it, my logo on it, my contact. And those stay consistent. My logo stays consistent. My picture stays consistent. My colors stay consistent. The message on the postcard changes. So sometimes it's a, um, sometimes it's evidence success. What have we sold? Sometimes it's uh, market information. Um, what, one thing I've gotten really good at, too, is small businesses. I've taken small businesses and promoted them. 
So let's say, let's say Mike owns a cupcake shop. And so I go to Mike and I say, Mike, I want to promote your business. So what I need from you, Mike, is I'm going to put a cupcake on the front of my postcard and it's going to say, buy one cupcake, get one cupcake free. And I'm going to tell Mike, I'm sending the 5,000 of these out. I'm going to pay for the postage. I'm going to pay for the design. I'm going to take care of all the mailing. All I need you to take care of, Mike, is honor the cupcake promotion for 60 days. Can you do that? And I look at Mike, and Mike nods his head, he'll do that. I send that postcard out. I haven't been burned yet by a small business owner. They love it. And I was, I was talking to, I, was, I think I was talking to Randy about this. There's a new hair salon, men's hair salon, ironically enough, that opened up about, man, they're about maybe 600 feet away from my office. And they opened up the day before we got shut down because of COVID. And now they're back opened up against regulations. And they called me up and they said, hey, do you want to come in and get a haircut? I'm like, boy, do I ever. And so they said, you know what? Your, your first haircut's on us. It's free. Come on in, get one in. So I'm sitting in there. The, the guy's doing my hair. The owner's there. And there's like two other guys sitting there, you know, just playing on their phones. And one of the people go, he goes, are you, are you the realtor, Jay? And I go, yeah, I am. He goes, boy, I want to thank you for sending out those postcards. And I'm like, why? He goes, 76% of our walk-in business since we opened back up has come from your postcards. 76% of their business had came from my postcard. What do you think that does for my reputation in the marketplace? What do you think it does for me promoting small businesses? But I'll tell you why I do it. I'm selfish. Here's why I do it. A postcard has an eight seconds, eight seconds from mailbox to garbage. That's the life of a postcard. But when I offer a gift, <laughs> When I offer a free cupcake or $7 off their first haircut, that postcard tends to go on the refrigerator, and it might be a month, or in the case of COVID, it might be three months before they use that, that haircut. So I'm getting a longer shelf life with it. That's why I like doing something like that. And that's why I like doing something like that in the sense there. Um, raising your sales price. If you got a question, I'm just going to kind of, I'll kind of break and do the questions from the comment group, but raising your um, average sales price in correspondence with just listed, just sold cards. So again, this is a form of direct mail. Um, I like doing just listed, just sold cards. And typically we do, we used to do coming soon cards now, but with the clear cooperation policy, we stopped those. So here's what we do. We do a just listed card and we do that to 100 closest homes. We do a offer accepted card to 100 closest homes. And we do a just sold card, 100 closest homes. So in a busy market, if you're selling that home in 12 days, it's just listed, offer accepted, then 30 days later, just sold. Now, if it is a home with a higher sales price, it's probably in a neighborhood with a higher sales price. We will typically do two or 300 just listed, offer accepted, just sold. Then we'll reach out to the company we hire to do that, and we'll get a list of the homes that got the postcard, and we will continue to send them something over the next six to eight months. I will, like, add them to my farm for six to eight months just to get my name in that neighborhood. Some of those neighborhoods have stayed on my farm. Some of those neighborhoods have dropped off. I'm willing to spend six to eight months of postcards on a neighborhood if it's a eight, nine hundred, a million, two million dollar home because I'm getting some exposure there. And I'm banking off the fact that I just sold a home in their neighborhood. So I'm banking off the fact that they saw my sign, they saw my, they saw my, my open house, they saw my aero directionals, they saw my just listed, my just sold. So I'm banking, I'm trying to build up on some credibility I already have. So that's one there. Um, expires. I know we've talked about expires before. Um, if you're like me, you probably get six emails every day in your email from somebody trying to sell you an expired system. Um, here's what I do for expires. I like to look, I like to look back at expires 
and I like to look back at cancellations off the market, you know, all that stuff. But I like to do it a year to you two years out. So I like to look at expireds either within a geographic area to my office, in a farm that I'm already farming, or price point. So, and then I like to look at expireds. I do not like to be, if somebody expired their home on July 10th, I'm not the person stopping at their door July 11th or sending them a letter or calling them. I don't want to be one of a 80 to 100 agents. Some of these people are just getting bombarded. And really, it's hard to differentiate yourself when there's 100 calls. But if you go back a year or two years or three years, or you take somebody in 2016, like if you can find 100 homes in 2016 that expired, and you have your RP1 cross-reference to whether or not they came on the market, and you find out 62 of them didn't come on the market, it's pretty easy to send them a message saying, hey, it's been four years since you tried selling your home. Did you know what the market did? Did you know what equity you have? If you were priced wrong then, you're definitely not priced wrong today probably. It's another good way to get your average sales price up because if you can pick off one or two at double your average sales price by doing a phone call or a letter or a direct mail or stopping by, I'm telling you, you only need a couple to get the ball rolling and to start to dominate a neighborhood. So with that being said, you know, when you look at some of the stuff, the expireds to me is a way to look at price point and to get listings. So for me, if I need listings, I'm typically looking at expireds within a geographic area. And I could care less about the price point, 100,000 100, to 3 million. If, I'm, if I need listings, I'm looking geographic. If I don't necessarily need listings, but I want to start targeting some big fish and go whale hunting and making it worth my time if I'm going to go stop and knock on a door or if I'm going to go track down a phone number or if I'm going to make that call, I like to target expireds with higher price points. And, and so like one of our homework assignments in the past was to watch uh, Michael Jordan's documentary on The Last Dance. Okay. One of the biggest takeaways I've got from that is how Michael Jordan created a chip on his shoulder at all times. And he created a game within the game. Like your job is to show up, make phone calls, generate leads, close deals, right? That's your job. But it's kind of fun to create a game within the game. Like if you can go, you know what? I'm going to call my entire database in the next two weeks. So me, looking at your average sales price is one of those ways to create a game within the game. So if you go and go, look, how many million-dollar homes did I sell last year? How many have I sold in my career? And so if you go, you know what? In my career, I've sold five. Or if you go, last year, I sold five. The game within the game, when you start to plan out your planning for 2021, is, man, we did $3 million-plus homes last year. I want to do six this year. And then you start to look at and go, how can I do those six? Okay, maybe I have to join a country club. Maybe I have to buy a home, a million-dollar home in that neighborhood. Maybe I have to be a part of a charity. Um, we have Minnesota's kind of a medical hub. Interesting enough, the reason why I created a doctor list is where my office is located, one out of every four jobs in the city where I live is tied to the medical industry, one out of every four that's some demographics you can get right from your local city. Talk to the development planner. Let them do the research for you. They've got some really great. So if you go into, if you go to the development planner in your local city, they've got really great things put together to try to encourage businesses to come in. You realize that, right? Like they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on trying to get businesses to come into your city. They will give you that information usually free. <laughs> so, I mean, I go and I talk to him. And he's like, hey, these are, these are the businesses we're trying to get right now. Um, this is what they do. These are the industries. And you can start to put together, like, if you know if a business is coming in, like, it's already approved, and they can share that with you, and you can get a contact, man, you could have 200, you know, you could have 200 possible buyers 
or if you know of a business leaving and you get a contact, now you got sellers. So those are some things. I like to go talk to the economic developer, um, the economic, economic business planner, the city planner. They should be on your VIP list. It wants you to develop a relationship with them. You should be catering to them. You should be dropping things off. Sometimes one of the best things to do is say, hey, I've got access to the MLS. Do you want me to get you any information? Do you want me to get you any stats on your city? You know, anything I can do to help you? And you take that approach. Then you can kind of get, if you're, if you're going to fish, if you're going to fish, don't fish at the bottom of the stream where everybody else is. Work your way up the stream a little bit and fish where no one else is so you can get your choice of the fish before it gets down and you're getting to pick what's left. I think having relationships with the city planner, the economic developer person is a great way to find out what is available. That's why we, that when I learned that one of every four jobs is tied to the medical industry, we went ahead and we started to pull doctors at hospitals. You know, it just, it really comes down to putting your RP1 on a task. Go to their website. Find out who the physician recruiter is. Find out who the doctors are. Start to look up their tax records. See where they live. You're better off to mail something to someone's home than you are to mail it to the hospital. Just same thing with attorneys. You can have 10 attorneys in a big law firm. You send 10 postcards. You might be lucky if one of the attorneys get the postcard. Gatekeepers will throw them away. But if you can cross-reference them and find out where they live, or Facebook or LinkedIn, you can start getting into their house. That that is a huge way to start positioning yourself in those ways. All right, minutes I see here. Um, yeah, creating. Yeah, Sandy, that is that was a big takeaway for me. Creating a creating a game within the game. I mean, it's one thing just to show up and put a bunch of points. But a lot of times he wanted to show up to dis de demolish somebody else, um, embarrass somebody else. Those are those are some fun things. Um, should how large should geographic farm? We covered that one. Um, higher rate of opening postcard and envelope. Even though it's more expensive, mail letter postcard and envelope. Higher yes, I like to do envelopes. Um, I've never done envelope during, for EDDM. I don't think you can. But when you have a farm. It is expensive to send an envelope mailing to them. What I like to do is one out of every maybe 12 to 18 mailers, I like to send an envelope, a letter, a letter of the heart to my farm. I don't do all 5,000, never at once. I might do 1,000 this year. I might do 1,000 next year. I might do 1,000 and get spendy. But I like to give them at least one envelope at least one time. There's a lot of software where you can handwrite their name and address, your your handwriting, and the software will print it on the envelopes for you so it looks like it's handwritten. Or you actually handwrite them. Um, a couple things that we do to get more mail is Thanksgiving. So we don't send Christmas cards out to our clients. We send Thanksgiving cards out to our clients. Because Christmas cards, they get like 80 of them and I get lost. Thanksgiving cards, they hardly get any of them. So I like to send Thanksgiving cards, not Christmas cards. Um, so that's that's some ways you can get some better opening on it and whatnot. So let's see. Well, we want to kind of we're getting we got about five minutes left. How do we want to wrap it? I think the most important way to come and wrap this is this. I believe one of the best ways to raise your average sales price, one of the best ways to increase your business, get more peace with your business is start to determine what you want your business to look like, and what you want your client to look like. As I said a couple hours ago, a couple hours ago on a video call with Rick, and Rick was talking about a, Rick was talking about a client that the longer the client talked, the more he realized, this isn't my client. This isn't someone I want to work with. And Rick's probably a lot better at it than the rest of us because he's super simple and he's super disciplined. If Rick says, this is what my client looks like, his clients fit in that box or they're gone. <laughs> I think that's the biggest takeaway here is determine what you want your client to look like, determine what you want your sales price to look like, and then make a plan 
and execute it to have that happen. If you want to do $500,000 homes or a million dollar homes, or if you want to do homes on a lake, then you have to start to go, what does that look like? You know, take everybody that owns shoreland on that lake. That becomes one list. Mail them. Maybe you move on the lake someday. Maybe you, you host a function on the lake. Maybe you just park your boat on the lake every weekend and try to bump into people and have conversations. Um, really what happens is decide what you want and start to make a plan to make that happen. Like if, if you want to be in a golf course community, you should join that golf course. Like I look at, I look at North Carolina and, and here's what I know. If I ever move out to North Carolina, I know exactly where I'm going to live. I'm going to live on Lake Norton. Here's why. JJ's on the lake. Phil's on the lake. Rick's on the lake. Chad Lubin's on the lake. Those are four of the four people I want to spend more time with. So I already know where I'm going to live if I move out to North Carolina. I'm going to be on that lake. Because if you're on that lake, you obviously have connections of higher sales prices. You have connections of different mindset, different income. You know, the old saying, you are like the combination and the average of the five people you hang out with. So if you're sick of being, you're sick of working with people that take advantage of you, stop working with them. Start working with people that refer you. Start working with people that value your expertise. Start working with people that call you and get stock advice. Or what are you doing with your money? I mean, that's one of my favorite calls right now is one of my favorite calls is calling Mike Wood and being like, hey, Mike. You got an extra 25 grand this month. Where are you sticking in it? What stock? Or what are you doing? You put an S&P 500 index? That's, that's how all of this comes together. This comes all together when you start to target what you want, and then you put yourself in a position. One of my old mentors always told me this, and, and, this, and this is one of the biggest reasons why I believe I became a coach. They said this, uh, if you want anything, Make sure you're the most obvious candidate. Put yourself on the stage to be the most obvious candidate. So if you want an average sales price, higher sales price, put yourself on that stage. Go to where they go. Shop where they shop. Eat where they eat. Live where they live. Dress like they dress. Drive the cars they drive. Join the chain charities they drive. I mean, I've got one charity it's um one of my attorneys. He became my became my attorney because of this charity. We were always at the same charity event, which supports a local school, and we we're always bidding against each other. And after about two years of bidding against him, he finally came over and said, "Hey, I gotta meet you." He's like, "I lost out on two auction items to you last year," and we developed a friendship there. Now our boats are kitty corner across from each other at the marina. So now. I get basically free legal advice whenever I'm down at my boat. I back my boat in, so the back of my boat is matched up with his, and so I'll go and sit on the back of my boat and have a nice tea, and I'll see him come sit on the back of his boat and crack open a beer, and I'll kind of wave to him, and I'll wait for the invite to come over. And then I just waddle over there, sit down with him, and next thing you know, we're talking business. We're talking how does he take care of his clients. We're talking how does he take care of his staff. I'm trying to get free legal advice, and I never get a bill. But the minute I stop at his office and talk to him, it's like $478 for 15 minutes. So I don't talk to him at his office anymore. So, so I hope that works. A couple things. Team training is virtual. I can't tell you a better time right now to have everybody on your team attend team training. You don't have to, you don't have to buy hotels. You don't have to give them food. You don't have to put them on an airplane. It's virtual team training. They can do it right at the office. Team training should be mandatory for everybody on your team. Everybody. Team training. The other thing is the mega. If you have relationships with lenders, if you have relationships with other realtors, the mega is virtual as well. You should look at that. Uh, with that, it's three. Um, I'll take any other questions if they kind of pop up here. Uh, if you're looking for, you know, if you want an example of kind of how I lay out, you know, going after builder reps or attorneys or whatnot, call the concierge. Um, I'll make sure they get one so it can be sent out. But uh, otherwise, 
I hope you took some takeaways. Um, I'm super honored to have this hour with you. I'm very grateful for the Corps. Uh, I feel a huge obligation to the Corps for what it's done in my business and in my life. And, and I appreciate every one of you that you know, that's part of the Corps. So I think that, um, I think they cut me off now or some close. <laughs> I don't know how that works. They usually just pull the little 